Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome back to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, I recently started an interview series called You're Not Alone because I was hearing more and more people, some of them were my patients and some of them not, where they would be going through something really harsh and they would say, I just feel so alone. And I would know they were not alone because of stories I had heard, but didn't really feel comfortable sharing those stories with them. Sometimes it was confidentiality, sometimes not, but I feel like people's stories are theirs to tell. And so I just started getting this idea of why don't I have some interviews with people who have been through some really harsh things and have transformed, have pulled themselves out of the ash and really built their lives into something wonderful so that we can reach out and maybe find someone who is right now just feeling like they're just in the ashes and they can't see a way out. Maybe you happen to be one of those people right now listening to this podcast. Well, I'm super excited that I have a guest with me and his name is Rodolfo. And I have to tell you, this is really neat because I am in the United States in the Eastern Standard Time Zone and Rodolfo is in Australia. And this is so neat that the the remote interviewing has made this possible that we can really connect and reach out to one another. It doesn't matter where you are on the entire planet. Um, and I know that was really kind of a silver lining with the COVID-19 thing that happened because a whole lot of remote like Zooming and all kinds of stuff happened and people got a lot more comfortable reaching out and talking through video and that type of thing. And so I'm just so thankful to have this opportunity. Now, Rodolfo and I have been kind of communicating uh, on a platform called Podmatch that we are both in, in that community, which is just lovely. And so we've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit. And Rodolfo has been through a lot. I'm going to let him tell you his story, but it includes things like uh, child abuse and prison time and homelessness and thoughts of suicide and all kinds of things. He is someone that truly, truly has been in those deep, dark places, places that a lot of people don't think they're going to make it out of. And he has just made his life into this wonderful testimony to his ability to transform himself. And I really am excited to hear him share his story with you guys. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Rodolfo. So how are you doing today? Hey, Jenna. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. And yes, absolutely. We had a little bit of a chat on Podmatch back and forth. And I felt from day one, there was a beautiful energy and a very synchronicity of our journeys and, um, and some fun. It was really lovely. It was fun. It wasn't, you know, usually you get these messages that are super structured and very cold where, you know, we were able to just connect right away and, and, and yeah, have a laugh and, and make some jokes along the way as well. So, and after a little bit of programming and so on, here we are. And, oh my God, I'm super excited and honored and privileged to be able to serve you, but also, of course, your, your community. So thank you for having me. 
So you, your story starts out like, you know, if you want to start maybe in childhood or if you want to start an adult and work backwards, however is most comfortable for you. Sure. Sure. Um, let, let me just, let me, perhaps let me start from the beginning, right? And take you on a journey um, because it, a lot of things will make sense um, because I feel that, you know, later on my life was a reflection of how my life started. And, you know, as a Buddhist today, you know, the Buddha teaches that today our life is a reflection of the way we lived our life yesterday or the results of our action from yesterday and tomorrow there will be a result or a reflection of our action today. So let me take you on a, on a short little story or journey, if you wish, of this little boy that was born in 1969. And uh, eight months later, when he was born, the parents thought to give him away and give him to foster parents rather than taking care of him because my parents were migrants from Italy to Switzerland and they decided to you know, after the war, build some wealth and, you know, go back home, build a home for the family and give the family what they never had. But as always, uh, you know, wherever I am, there's always something coming along when I'm there. So in 1969, I kind of like changed the program a little bit and, um, and create a lot of frustration that then, you know, the decision was made to give me away. So I was away for 11 years from my parents, I would see them uh, every so often. Um, they would come to visit. They would come to pick me up sometimes for a day or so. Uh, sometimes on holidays, they will, they will pick me up and I will spend a week or so with them or two. But I was moving from one family to the other. So every two years, so I was moving. So for me, even from a younger age, um, I always tried to fit in. I never thought, I never knew where I was fitting in, where my place was, right? Because as soon as I would move into a new family, there, was, there were kids in that family too. They had their own toys, they had their own rooms. And all of a sudden there I am, right? And trying to fit in in this family, how do I get love? How will I, am I, am I going to be seen? How am I going to be cared for? And one thing that my mother told me at a very young age, she always said that I, I should not cry when I'm with families because if I cry too much, oh, wow. I will annoy them and they will give me away too. And then eventually I would have nobody to look after me, right? And that was a thing that stayed with me for most of my life. Do never cry. Do never show your emotions. Do never be a burden. Do never speak out, you know, just... Just kind of be invisible, become a part of the furniture, if you wish. And, um, and I grew up like that for about 11 years. And 11 years later, my parents decided to bring me back because my brother to, you know, brought a little bit to throw the spanner in, in the whole story. And, 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 and he got married his girl in Switzerland, so they couldn't retire no more. So they thought, OK, well, if we stay here, might as well get him back too, right? But I arrive in a place in my life where I'm already in my young teens, still trying to figure out who I am. Where, you know, am I going to stay now with this family, which for me wasn't my mother and father. I would always tell them, bring me back home, bring me back to my mom, right? But eventually I was there and I remember waking up with two strangers yet again. I didn't know how to please them now. They didn't have any kids that I could befriend with. Right, they were hardworking people, barely have time for me, 
and me spending time by myself all the time, you know, playing soccer by myself, playing hide and seek by myself. I, I used to get very inventive as a young age, and that's probably, you know, still with me today, but it was painful. But obviously I'm little. I don't know what pain is. I do not know what anxiety is. I, do, I don't know any of those things. And, you know, we're talking now, you know, 70s, you know, anxiety and so on and so forth. wasn't a lot spoken about. You didn't hear much about it. But what happened is every chance I had to be with someone or to play with someone was a blessing for me. I was looking everywhere. So I became a people pleaser. I would buy, um, you know, steal money from my father. I remember little money from my father. And I would go to school and buy lollies and buy little, I always remember these little blue water pistols. They had, a, they were light blue and they had an, a yellow FBI on there. I will never forget that. And they were 50 cents. I would buy a bunch of them and then go to school and give them out and buy my friends, right? Buy my participation on a soccer game or with playing with someone, right? And for me, that was, that stayed for me to think for a long time because when my parents used to come and visit me, they always would bring me a gift, right? And, and there was that, this transaction. I'm going to give you a gift. You're going to love me, right? And, and so on and so forth. So, and what happened, like I was saying before, I would play and I'll look for someone to play with at all times, just to not feel alone. And I remember um, I grew up with adults all around me because... I mean, after 11, after going home, because my parents, my father was a construction worker and was also managing a a hostel that people from all around the world, mainly Spain and Yugoslavia, ex-Yugoslavia, they used to come in for season work in Switzerland and they would sleep in this hostel and then work with my father. And when they used to come home at night, 5.30ish, they would see me out there and I would be there with my soccer ball waiting for someone to play with me, right? And until 14, Dana, I was doing this crazy thing that it caused a lot of pain. And what I used to do is, and today I can speak about it really easily, say I was playing with someone and mostly adults, like I was saying, and I needed to go to the toilet, I would not go. And it would not matter if it was number one or number two. I would just do that on myself because for me, the pain of going home and coming back and not finding someone to play with me was bigger than the shame that I had afterwards and go home and try to hide my clothing and wash them and and feel embarrassed. But that pain was less than me being alone. And I I did that till 14 years old. So um, a long time. So my story continues that connection with my parents was unexistent. I was never as good as my father. I became a bricklayer like him because I thought that will connect me with him somehow. But I never reached the levels of what he was. I never reached the level of um, amazingness and professionality and commitment that he had. So that would do everything but connect me with him. So I always was a failure in his eyes. And I remember him always saying that, I mean, that happened a little bit later in life when I started to work for myself. He always say, nothing good will come from you. You know, nothing good will come from you. And eventually at, uh, at 19, I moved out of home 
and met this girl and eventually she became my wife. I got married very young. And four months after the marriage, I found her with someone else. And that was the point, Dana, where I think that was my first check-in point of saying, well, okay, I'm 23 right now. And man, nothing is freaking working out for me. Where do I fit in? My parents didn't want me. My foster parents didn't want me. This woman doesn't want me. What the heck, right? I mean, I'm pleasing everybody. I'm never freaking saying no. And still, nobody wants me. But that was my version back then. My version of not having the wisdom to understand. See, when I was married, to connect somehow to my father, it didn't work with me becoming a bricklayer. He was very jealous, very possessive to my mother. He was never physically abusive, but he was very psychologically possessive and very abusive. And... I had no father figure, I had no male figure, I had nothing. And all of a sudden I have a woman and I don't know how to, to be with this woman. So guess what I did? I became my father. And obviously the result of what happened is not because my first wife was a bad woman. By all stretch, completely the opposite. It was an amazing woman. Now I realized, not now, but a few years ago now, but I wasn't the man she deserved. And all of a sudden, there was someone there that gave her what she needed at that moment, which wasn't me, because I was well too self-absorbed by myself to be seen, right? I wasn't a bad person, but I just wanted to be seen at all costs. So then we separated, we got divorced, and at that moment, I think my, my, my path changed. And it went from saying yes, yes, yes to all the things and being kind of semi-submissive all the time to become completely radical, completely shift my life to the opposite, way opposite, that I was involved in crazy stuff that got me into prison. And kind of the lights shut off (laughs) for a little while. And it got me a little bit to think. And once I got out of there... I was homeless for two months. I was eating out of trash cans in Bern, Switzerland, and uh, trying to get back. But again, I had no idea. And at that point, you know, I'm, what is that now? I'm 30 years old. I'm 30 years old. I'm a man now. I'm not a boy. I'm not a young adult. I'm a man and I have no clue what to do. So... I embarked on a, on a journey of trying to learn about computers back in 2000. And I went to an IT evening school or classes. And one day I'm, uh, I'm helping out a friend with his computer. And that night a, a chat, you know, there were these chats back in 2000, right? And one was, right. that was called ICQ, right? Which, by the way, I never knew that it was ICQ because I didn't know English back then. There's my cat use. Sorry. <laughs> um, awesome. But this chat pops up, right? And, and I start to talk to this person. And this person is today my wife, Grace, right? And this person got me very intrigued in life again. It got me very much involved a little bit again. And so after a couple of years coming up and down from Europe to Australia, I I decided to leave everything behind. I'm like, 
now I'm done here. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to start all over again. And, you know, my life here is a mess. Everybody wants me. Everybody is looking for me. I have debts. I have everything is happening, right? I'm going to get out of here. And, you know, I got to tell you the honest truth. And I love my wife. Like, I will give my soul for my wife. But I think I used her back then. We only got married in 2010. So back then we, we, we tried to get together, but we were two people in pain, which never, you know, didn't really make it to get close for a few years. But today I know that I perhaps have used her to get away from my mess and bring it here or bring myself here, I should say. And then, you know, 2003 comes, I'm here. I'm here living, new job. Everything is great, right? The sun shining. I'm amazing. And I arrive here in August. And in December, I go back home to visit my father, my mother, uh, my brother, my nephews, and so on. And when I come back, try to come back again, at the airport in Zurich, I get stopped by the, by the, by the police checking why I was back because you know, there is some history that, you know, doesn't allow me to go, be, to go back there. And all of a sudden, I'm in prison again. I'm like, oh, my God, did I just give away everything that I'm trying to rebuild? And thank God, after three weeks, they released me. I came home and I never went back there. But I thought, you know, I made it. I'm, 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 I got it away from everything. I'm a freaking winner. I got this, right? And I was living in a house, Donna. You know, living in Burns, middle of the city, everything is tiny and squashed together. Here is everything is open and very big. And I'm living in my backyard is a golf course. And it's the, the green of one of the holes. And there's a little flag there. And it was summer of 2004. And I, it was a full moon night. It was an amazing, beautiful, warm night. And I walk out at 1130 at night. I will never forget that. And I arrived to... Uh, this green and to the flag and I and I lay down and looking up I can see the the moon and I can see the flag just hitting my head and just being right above me and I said to myself I made it I made it out of all of that I freaking get a chance to do it again and I thought man I am freaking you know there was courage but I took it, I left a lot behind, but here I am and I'm getting another chance. But you know, in life you pay for everything. It's like going to a restaurant. You eat, you drink, you might have your entrees, you might have your first course, then the second, and you might have a dessert and you celebrate and you drink, and you might stay there for hours. But eventually, you'll be served a bill. Because otherwise, you can't get out of that restaurant. Life is the same. You can try to run. You can hide. But eventually, you will be getting the bill and pay up. And that's what happened to me in 2004. I was served a bill. And what I felt was a new beginning. It was terror. Because 
all of a sudden I am away from home, I'm away from everything. I'm away from my land. I'm alone. And now I'm understanding what anxiety and depression is. And trying to build a new life. I'm making some money to survive. <laughs> so the sunshine and the beautiful moonlight were just witnessing my journey. I was just there watching. And the next six years of my life were brought me to the point where my father passed away in 2007. I had no money to go to his funeral. I'm 37 by then. I saw him just a little bit earlier than that, a couple of months earlier, so I was able to kind of make amends. But then in 2010, I started to contemplate suicide. I, I had enough. I had a woman now, Grace and I came together, and we were living together, but I wasn't the husband she deserved. I wasn't the man she deserved. I wasn't the businessman that my staff deserved. I was just buying my way through and I started to contemplate suicide and I would go into my garage. I was set out with like a gym. I had my gym in there and I would go in there every single night to the point that then it became no more training and no more exercising, but it became programming of my way out. And one Thursday night, it was the day that I thought, this is the day. I am done. I'm out of here. And I remember that a few years before I was racing motorcycles, because again, for me, adrenaline was, was, was getting me to go forward, you know, between panic attacks and all of that kind of stuff. For me, that was the drive. And I remember I was sitting on the floor with my back to my motorcycle, looking at my rope hanging in the middle of the garage waiting for that moment that felt right for me. And at that moment, I, I rose up and I saw, this is it. And I turned behind me. Behind me was a, like, was a mirrored glass that you could see out, but you couldn't see in. And I could see my wife sitting on the, on the couch watching TV. And it was my way to farewell by just looking at her for a second. And at that moment... She burst out in this hysterical laugh, if you will, <laughs> like losing her freaking mind, laughing hysterically watching a show. And I was shocked by it because the question came up to me and said, there has to be more to life than misery. There has to be more to life than misery because... That human being only 10, 15 feet away from me is having a ball. What am I not seeing? What am I not getting here? What am I not getting? And I remember I let go of my suicide attempt or program and I went in. And I went in, I stood next to her and... And she looks at me still, you know, recovering from her laughter. And, and she said, you're okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. I just uh, need to tell you what was, what was happening. 
And she said, what happened? And I said to her, I was about to go. And she said, oh, my God, I never knew that. I said, I didn't either. But I'm back. And so I'm not going to say here, you know, because you're an intelligent person. I am too, and we don't have time to waste because both of us are adults, and your listeners deserve truth. It wasn't a moment of, oh, yeah, now everything's cool. We all got to sort it out. Yeah, I'll carry on. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was still painful. It was still big question marks. But, you know, life is amazing. And I stumbled on this quote, and this quote said, if you do what you have always done, you will get what you have always gotten. And that, man, that... (laughs) Wow, it reverberated through my soul. And I wanted to know who wrote this quote, and I stumbled on Tony Robbins for the first time. I never knew who he was. The quote was by him. And I look him up, stumble on his website, and a week later he has an event in Sydney, which is only an hour and a half from here, a plane. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this the thing? And so I called my wife. My wife was the back or the front of the house or the back of the house. And I said, Grace, Grace, do you know this Toby Roberts guy? And she said, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think he's an American guy. Is that like a speaker kind of thing? I'm like, oh, okay. And then I asked this question that I never asked before. And I think that's a crucial question in any parts of life. And that was... Do you think he can help me? It was a moment of humility coming into my life that I have never had. I never put my hand up to say, hey, you know what? I need some help. I just need some help. That's all. I don't want you to do it for me. I just, I just need to know how. Just, just show me how, and I will give everything I have to do it. And that was that moment. And we went to this event a week later, paid for it, went to the event, jumping around. I'm not sure if you ever went to a Tony Robbins event, but it's incredible. Jumping around and, 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 and having so much fun and getting to realize a lot of things. And on the Sunday, and now every time I come to this point, I want to make a disclaimer. I, wanna, I want you to listen very closely. What I did, you do not have to do. What I did is my only journey and my story only. It's for you to just grab some inspiration, but do not have to do what I do or what I have done. And that is I was on antidepressants. I was on Lexapro. And on the Sunday morning, I woke up to go to the next, to the third day of Tony Robbins' event. And as I'm popping my pill and grabbing the water, I look at myself in the mirror for the first time. I see myself. And I spit out the tablet and I flushed out all my tablets down the sink. And I said, I never freaking will touch one tablet again in my life, ever. And I was done. I didn't have any withdrawals. I didn't have nothing. It was just done. So again, do listen, this is a story. I'm not telling you you have to do what I did. So I want to make clear with this because this is not something to take very lightly. So you want to speak to your doctor, do all the right things. Now, carry on. I go there, 
And at the end of the event, I joined a coach. I joined a coach and this coach, she was an amazing human being, still a great friend today. And in a year and a half, my business grew from nearly non-existent to seven figures. I have 22 staff employed. Life is amazing. We're driving $300,000 cars. It's like, what the heck is going on, right? From being broken and nearly hanging off a rope to that. But what did I say earlier? You always have to pay your bills. And my bills wouldn't pay yet. Because I went on an outer journey. And a journey of achievements and journey of lights, of incredible abundance. The outer journey was fine. The outer journey was amazing. My inner journey was not fixed. My inner journey was not taken care of. I shouldn't use a use fix because it's not broken, but it wasn't taken care of. I still didn't heal. I still didn't understand all of the parts of my life that got me to be hanging off a rope and living a life of 40 years in agony, even though I tried to look away from everything. And so I went back to my coach and I said, Sarah, you you got to help me here because I'm falling backwards very quickly. I started to have panic attacks again. I started to be anxious again. My depression was coming back. I didn't want to do anything anymore. I had all the wealth in the world, but there was no fulfillment. And after a few months of trying back and forward and do this and do this and do this, you know, uh, way and this way and this strategy and this tool and whatever, nothing would work. And one day in August 2012, I was driving to work and I hear a podcast and a podcast about shamanism. And I have never heard about shamanism before. So I dived into it because what the guy was saying was exactly what I needed. It was terrifying what he went through, but this is exactly what I needed. And so... I went on a journey, a spiritual journey. I became a Buddhist probably six months before that, but that's still a religion. Even though it's an amazing philosophy, it's still a religion. What I was missing was spirituality. And so I embarked on this journey, went down to Peru, and I started this journey of real self-discovery in the middle of the jungle of Peru, in the middle of the night, drinking powerful antigen medicine used for thousands upon thousands of years with old, old shamans. And they took me to the deepest end of my soul where there was still a little boy crawled up waiting for someone to remember about him. And all I had to do was reassure that little boy that everything will be okay, that everything will be okay. It was time to come out of the darkness. It was, time to, it was time to stop being invisible. And it was time to speak, to share, and to just be. And that journey has been now 11 years. And today, who am I? I think I'm the observer of this story. Humbled. And today, my way of serving is a combination of coaching and shamanism. So it's an active approach to 
go and get your achievements, go and get your goals, go and get whatever dreams you have in your life. But at the same time, connect with who you are. So it's an outer and inner journey at the same time that I bring people on. So the achievement is not something that will replenish or refill the void that they have within their soul, but it becomes a representation of who they are as humans. And that is a beautiful thing. And I call that being a life artist. Being the life artist, the artist of your life, grabbing all of the colors, all of the things that life has given you, all the stories, all the ups and the downs and the sideways, turn them into colors and paint the masterpiece of your life. And at the end of the day, when this story will end, and it will end for everybody, we will look back at that story with no regrets, with no, I wish I had, with no grief and pain, regrets, accusations, nothing. Because we cleared all that and we look back to our life and it's like, wow. Yeah, there were failures. Yeah, there was big lessons, but what a masterpiece is my life. And you know, right now, I am tired and it's time to go home. Thank you. And I think that's, that will be the end of a beautiful, beautiful story. Rodolfo, thank you so, so much. That was an amazing story. And the openness, you know, that you gifted us with and to be so vulnerable and to let all of us hear what your journey was and to be so honest with that is going to help so many people as they're trying to find their way on their journey and trying to figure out how to be their life artist and you know trying to figure out their outer journey and their inner journey i really like the way you talked about the little boy that you had to go find because in trauma work when i do work with patients i frequently have to help them to find that inner child that's so scared and is curled up in a fetal position and is kind of driving they, they might go for periods of time maybe even weeks or months without being aware of that little child that's so scared but then something will happen and will trigger them and that little child is scared to death and is sort of driving the ship so to say mm-hmm. and it's just that journey to that inner child and sometimes there's several children you know, sometimes there's a very, very small one and then one that's seven and one that's nine and one that's, you know, each one of them took a different hit. Each one of them absorbed something harsh and scary and is still living inside of them as they're trying to live their adult lives. I appreciate you bringing that up and just really opening up and letting our listeners hear your story of what that was like for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it it all starts there, right? It all starts when we're little, you know, and we write that story at that moment when whatever happened, we write a story to help ourselves cope whatever way we can. The thing is that usually that story we take with us for, well, in my case, 40 years, and that story doesn't resonate with a 40-year-old. 
It's just outdated. And because we want to keep that story alive, we have to change that story as we grow older. The theme feels the same, but the actual story, if you would look at it, it's very different than the first one you told yourself. And that's just to help you cope at a different stage of life. But once we go back there and we shed some light on that, and we, you know, for me, I see the story as a sphere. And rather than see it as a square and just seeing one side, if we turn that story into a sphere, all of a sudden you can see all angles of that story. My story for a long time was my parents gave me away. I was little. They didn't love me and they wanted to make money and they choose money over me. Well, guess how that story will work for me over time? It didn't. Today, I say, my parents migrated from Italy to Switzerland after the war. They were poor and they just wanted to give the family that was coming what they never had. And they wanted to work so hard, double shift, triple shift sometimes, to do that for their family. And all of a sudden, they didn't know. They didn't know what to do when I arrived. They just didn't know. And they thought, what if we can't give them what we never had? And so they had to make a decision. And it was a painful decision. It was a decision of, I hope I'm not making the wrong thing in my life to give this baby to someone else and I want to work so hard so fast that I get him back so quick and the story today says that they go to night to bed every night and the last thought is me and sending me a prayer and hoping that I'm well and hoping that it can reconnect with me as fast as they possibly can so that story now is not anymore a story of judgment nor a story of resentment, but it's a story of compassion because we both were in pain. So who am I to judge them for something that, sure, do I agree? No. Do I feel that if you are a parent, you should look after your kids? Yeah, absolutely. But it didn't happen. And so who am I to judge who? I have no rights. Because if I look back at my life, there are countless times that I've hurt people. And so if I can't do that, how can I judge someone that in their life, Jordan, have done the same? At the end of the day, we're the same people. Yes. The same goes for, for when I got sexually abused. The story for me was, how can I ever be a man? How can I ever protect my woman? How can I ever feel that I am this provider for the family if I can't even protect myself? How can I be worthy of a good woman when I am broken? And then the the story changed to, I was 11. I didn't stand a chance. And then I went even further than that because And again, I'm not condoning what happened to me, but I looked at the person. For a moment, I looked at the person. I thought, okay, who was this man? First of all, he was a young man. He was 19. His father passed away. His mother went from one man to the other. 
He didn't know where he faded in as well. He had no, he was never seen. He was in pain. He never felt man enough. He didn't feel like he was empowered in any way. And all of a sudden, there I am. And so he abused power over me. Now, again, I'm not condoning what he did, but there's another person in pain that doesn't know what to do and has to carry that for the rest of his life. So again, from resentment and judgment and poor me and all of that, I turned to compassion and I forgave. As I forgave my father, my mother, and this person, I forgave. And you know, forgiveness is nothing else than changing the meaning of a story. And all of a sudden, everybody's set free. You can carry on. It doesn't take it away what happened, but now we are not controlled by it. Because now we understand something. And all of a sudden, the biggest pain of our life becomes our biggest teacher. And all of a sudden, we learn a new language. And when we cross paths with someone else that tells us a story similar to ours, we recognize the tone, we recognize the language, we recognize every feeling of it. And guess what? Now we are called to serve. Because nothing that happened to us or nothing that happened in life is to us but for us. So the journey just continues on. And as I say many times in my shamanic retreats that I hold, very powerful four days that I take people through, don't engage, just watch. Whatever you see, don't engage, just observe. And let it go to the end. Because at the end you will re realize and understand what this is all about. If you stop a movie halfway or a third in, you will never know. You might have a, you might think you know, but all of a sudden something that, that starts by a person killing someone and thinking it will be a thriller, all of a sudden that person might change and all of a sudden it becomes a love story or an inspiring story. But we only know if we arrive to the end and we just sit back and observe and not, not engage. So for me, healing and growth happens that way. That's why I always use growth before healing. I believe, that's my hallucination, that you heal once you understand. And to understand, you need to grow. And I feel life is amazing. And life isn't, you know, for me, life isn't today, oh, yeah, now I, I, every day is a sunny day and everybody, you know, every day I got flowers sent to my door. That's not realistic. That's, that's bullshit, if I can say that. That's not life, right? <laughs> yeah. Life is... Some days are good, some days are not, and you just go through it and use everything you have to make it the way you want it to be. And, you know, only three years ago, we lost our seven-figure business. It was gone in a matter of a few weeks over a court case. We entered a venture that went wrong, and our law team said we should persevere, we will get this. We put all, everything we had on red and rolled the dice and everything was gone. We lost the case. All our money was gone. Our cars were gone. We had to call our staff. No more jobs. 
We were done, 2018, only three years ago. And two days after that, after our court case, we were thinking, okay, what is our life going to be tomorrow and how are we going to pay our bills now? Grace, my wife, was diagnosed with cancer. And then you think, okay, how is this perfect for me now? This is how I start every single time a challenge hits. How is this perfect for me? What do I need to learn from this? What wisdom do I need to grow to understand what is going on right now? And so we went on another journey, and the journey shifted from me being in construction and very successful there to online, to becoming who I am today and embarked on this journey. Priority was Grace's health. And so I put into place everything I learned in the jungle, everything I learned doing my work, and I worked on my wife. First on me, then on my wife. And my wife healed. Not one tablet, not one chemo session, not one radiation session, nothing. Just an inner and outer journey to become the artist of her life. It's only this ease. There's nothing wrong with us. The way it comes, it will go. We are the artist of our lives. And we can do anything we want. If we just put up our hands sometimes and ask ourselves, can this person help me? Or something, whatever that is for you. Thank you so much. I just, I appreciate all the, the information that you've shared and the, just the heartfelt experience that you have shared with, with my listeners. I mean, there's no telling really how many people that are going to be hearing your story and just be so touched and so moved and encouraged and supported by what you've agreed to share with all of us. And I so appreciate, Rodolfo, you, you coming, being willing to do this so much. And Phoenix and Flame community, if you have heard something today in Rodolfo's story that has touched you and or if you know of a relative or a friend that could really benefit from hearing everything that Rodolfo has gone through and how he just transformed and pulled himself repeatedly out of the ash to just really face life and be an artist of his own life, then share it. Whatever your social media platform of preferences, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or whatever you want to do, just share it, post it, put it out there so we can grow our community so we can continue to lift one another up and tell our transparent, real stories of real people in real issues and how they have been able to transform and come out so we can really build one another up. So I thank you for tuning in today and I hope the rest of your day goes well. And this is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.